Welcome to From Concept to Creation, the podcast where we invite everyone to uncover the process of research with us. Hi, everybody. It is time for another episode. I'm Kate Morgan, Instructional Designer at Penn State World Campus. Hey, folks. I'm Jen Jarson, Head Librarian at Penn State Lehigh Valley. In today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Pauline Millwood. She's an associate professor of hospitality management at Penn State Berks. And a really fun guest. Yes. How did we get so lucky to get her on our podcast? <laughs> we made use of our library network, Kate. We reached out <laughs> to our colleague, Sarah Hartman Caverly, who's a librarian at the Penn State Berks campus. And Sarah gave us a really good suggestion. That, that was a really good suggestion. <laughs> Seriously. Thanks, Sarah. Um, yeah. So we wanted to talk with somebody who could really give some insight into different ways to look at inquiry, someone who was working, you know, with a creative project, working in an unusual context, and Pauline fit that bill perfectly. Absolutely. I mean, she teaches in the hospitality management program, which is not really an area that we associate or I associate with research. You I know? agree. Yeah, not as we typically imagine it, for sure. But she's created this immersive experience for students in the capstone course. Mm -hmm. And it's an actual pop-up restaurant. Like <laughs> they serve food to people. It's um, amazing. Yeah. Hundreds of people. Like, <laughs> wow. And so it's an amazing blend of this hands-on, practical, real-world experience. And mm -hmm. it really guides students through all these, you know, inquiry experiences, behaviors, mm -hmm. skills. Like mm -hmm. there's just so many things that this course alone really touches on. Yeah, I love how it really models for students or helps support students through learning how to do those kinds of inquiry behaviors and skills in this real-world setting. It, You know, I can see how that just helps students think about how to transfer that to their future, you know how to ground your ideas and research, how to make decisions effectively, how to navigate all the uncertainty that inherently comes with a project like this. It's either the best or the worst group project ever, honestly. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really um, kind of identified with the teamwork part of this, like the mm -hmm. emotional aspects of like mm -hmm. all of the drama and having to figure it out together and get mm -hmm. to that finish line together. Um, it was just, it was just really well done. Mm -hmm. I would say that normally research doesn't raise my heart rate, but like listening to all of the steps <laughs> to this, whoo. I was just yeah. cheering for them by the end. Yeah, it's a boatload of work for the students and for Pauline to help facilitate and, you know, guide students through this. And it was so cool to hear about the work she's doing to guide the students through all the modules associated with this pop-up restaurant, but then also to hear about how she's practicing her own kind of inquiry yes. into how to teach this, you know. So she's been doing some really interesting scholarship around the project thinking about how to be effective, how to teach this effectively, figuring out what students are getting out of this, using that to inform revisions to the experience. So she and Sarah published an article about this. She created an openly licensed textbook in OER that she uses to work with students in the course. It's really great, really cool. Yeah. And I think she said she updates that textbook mm -hmm. like all the time. So mm -hmm. if anyone accesses it, they're getting the most recent research experience mm -hmm. suggestions that she has gathered. Yeah. Yeah. So she's using everything she learned to inform like future revision and redesign. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, we have said a lot, but it really, her voice is lovely. Let's let her tell the story. Sounds good. Welcome to our podcast, Pauline. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Jen. Great to have you here, Pauline. So um, you have just finished the implementation of this huge project in one of your courses, this big capstone element um, where students are planning and running a pop-up restaurant at the Penn State Berks campus. And literally, you just finished this days ago, right, Pauline? Yes, that's correct. Just last, just three days ago, actually. So that sounds like a really all-consuming, intensive project for you and for the students. Maybe if you could share with us just like a big picture view of the project, like what does it look like? How does it work? What is it really? Sure. Well, the hospitality management students enrolled in the HM program here at Penn State Berks have a required capstone course, HM430. It's called Advanced Food Production and Service Management. And in that course, students spend the first 12 weeks of the semester conceptualizing, developing, and implementing a real-world pop-up restaurant project here on the Penn State Berks campus. Wow. Just as it sounds, yes, a lot of work, um, <laughs> very intense, um, yeah. a very limited uh, time frame within which to implement. 
And uh, essentially, the students are exposed and really have an immersive learning experience in, in this real world project. And it is a tremendous learning experience for them and for me as the instructor. Mm-hmm. Like how many students are in the class? How many is your crew? The average uh, team, and, and we refer to the students in this in this course, we call them student managers, but the team will range in size from just under 10 up to 12 or 15 students. So it's a small class size, typical of our classroom sizes here at Penn State Berks. So very intimate, and it facilitates this small team dynamics in terms of learning to work in small teams. Mm. So is this course itself considered a capstone course for the program? And this is a capstone experience in that course, essentially. It is. And it Mm -hmm. is a capstone project because prior to enrolling in HM430, students need to complete HM230 and Mm -hmm. HM330. And those are the intro and intermediate levels representing the food production and service management courses in the program. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you said students are engaged in planning and then implementing this over the course of 12 weeks. Like, what does that process look like from start to essentially now finish where we are now? Sure. Uh, The students really hit the ground running within the first. There is no gently easing into the semester. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much the first day of class, they are presented with this project and they are advised how the project in its entirety is, is developed over four modules. The first module it requires that they spend the first four, uh, two to four weeks conceptualizing their restaurant and pretty much using their business research knowledge to determine what's the niche market here in Berks County. If I'm developing a restaurant idea or project, how do I fit my concept within the market that I'm working with? And for that, we draw heavily on the support of our research librarian, Sarah Hartman Caverly, to walk them through using the databases here to identify population and demographics and different statistics, you know, disposable income uh, and the propensity for folks who dine out and Mm -hmm. using that the information there to determine their price point, to develop their menu and pretty much bring something to life. Mm-hmm. From there, they go into developing the concept. And that's when they are introduced to our consultant chef. And each okay. fall semester, we invite a chef to come onto the campus and help support the students as they develop their menu and help to check boxes like seasonality of products, availability of menu mm-hmm. ingredients, localized ingredients wherever possible we want to make use of local ingredients that are available within the fall season and so they get a lot of support from these real world chefs that do Mm -hmm. this every single day for a quick question the chefs that are selected to help them like are they in the same cuisine that these students pick or are they just professional chefs Hmm. that run different restaurants a little bit of both. Uh, they are professional chefs that invariably we have worked with chefs from local country clubs, from local restaurants, as well mm-hmm. as local hotels. So it does vary. And so the, the chef uh, must have within their wheelhouse a kind of knowledge of international cuisines. Mm-hmm. But this is also where the research comes in and where it gets really exciting to watch the students and the chefs work through researching ingredients, seeing what is adaptable. And, and of course, if I tell you that this past uh, pop-up restaurant for this sem- this semester, the students chose a Caribbean theme. So How cool. was I, of course, delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Did you influence that direction? of thinking I, or <laughs> I wondered to myself you know but but I saw that they had selected dishes that were uh uh, Caribbean based from Haiti, the Dominican Republic, from my own uh, island home of Jamaica. So they did a fantastic job with putting it together. And so we had to ensure that in order to deliver, we were able to source authentic ingredients. Mm-hmm. So so it does involve some amount of research when it mm-hmm. comes to not just who are we serving, but are we going to be able to create and deliver authentic restaurant experience? Now, just going off that theme, okay, you're doing Caribbean, you're using local ingredients. Does that mean it is off limits to like maybe 
import scotch bonnet peppers or something like that? Or how does that all work? Yeah, not. I'm, I'm glad you said scotch bonnet peppers because that was a key ingredient uh, last, <laughs> last week. It was also, and I will answer your question, Kay, it was also interesting because we spoke, we spent a lot of time talking about, well, how do we balance the spice of Caribbean food mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. what we know to be the Berks County palate here? So that <laughs> that took on a, um, just, just a life of its own. But it absolutely does. And so it does mean that at some point when the students are going through their procurement and ordering uh, module, which is in the the second phase of development, developing their their project, they must reach out to vendors and they must find out, do you have this ingredient? Will you Mm -hmm. have this ingredient in November? Because they start out in August, September, you know, when it's still kind of summery. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we must reach out to vendors and confirm availability. But it does using that example, Kate, yes, uh, involves sourcing Jamaican hot peppers, for example, mm-hmm. or ingredients like epis, which was used in the Haitian soup jamo that they conceptualized. So, yep, mm. all of wow. that. Wow. Um, okay. So they go through that procurement and ordering phase, research with the library, working with that consultant chef, but they're cooking themselves, right? Like how do they get to that stage of actually providing the food to their customers? Sure. Yep. And and so the great thing about our program here at Penn State Berks is that we do require students to complete 1000 hours of internship experience. Wow. So you find that uh, by the time the students get to this level of, you know, their senior year on the cusp of graduating, they have had experience either working in like an entertainment mm-hmm. or local restaurant or or hotel or mm-hmm. any some type of leisure environment. So they have had that experience. For the course, an important part of this is that we walk them through the entrepreneurial route of developing uh, this mm-hmm. because that's specifically what we want them to walk away with from this program. Entrepreneurial self-efficacy as one of the key uh, goals of the mm-hmm. course. So to answer your question, the students self-select their positions. They determine, okay, I will take this position because I have dining dining room experience, or I prefer to work in the back of house because I know how the kitchen runs and, mm-hmm. and food is my happy place. So we really do allow the students to self-select their student managerial roles. And that goes a long way in encouraging them to take ownership of the project. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. I love that term you just used, entrepreneurial self-efficacy. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Because I think I'm probably making assumptions about what I think it means. Sure, sure. Just to draw on the literature from Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship education and what has been published, it really is uh, allowing an individual to develop their own self-confidence, their their confidence in their ability to successfully implement an entrepreneurial product or service. And that comes with attendant risks. We can all think of great ideas. We They, they sound wonderful to us. The, the menu and, and the food may be something that we would be happy to go mm-hmm. and dine at a restaurant. But is this something that I could successfully develop and market? Mm-hmm. And so what we take them through is this period of customer discovery, where they have to talk with students, their families, members of the public, and try to at least gauge the interest. And and for these students, it could mean I'm going to throw up a poll on my Facebook page or I'm going to put up a poll on Instagram just Mm -hmm. to find out from the public, hey, if I did a pop-up restaurant with a Caribbean menu, would you come, you know? So we want the students to walk through that because they're literally testing an idea. That's what entrepreneurs Mm. do. And at the end of the 12 weeks, a big part of the learning outcome is how successful were we? Mm -hmm. What what really worked? uh, What didn't work? Did we have any failures? And if Mm -hmm. so, how do we make it make them better? So all of that builds into this self-efficacy where at the end of the day, regardless of what they did well or didn't do well, they have walked through this testing phase mm-hmm. and determined for themselves, oh, this was wonderful, but now we know that we would do it differently next time, or we would definitely keep this portion of the project if we had to launch again. I was just thinking about how you said, you know, we have this great idea, and then actually selling that to the public or getting their input. If someone said to me, do you like Caribbean food? I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Like mm. you mentioned ingredient earlier, epis, epis. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, yes. I have no idea what that is. Like, you know, would I eat it? I don't know, probably. But and still, it's one of those <laughs> questions, like especially in Berks County, like you are trying to get input in doing something very different than mm-hmm. the normal palate. 
Yes, yes. This is two things. It allows our students to really be open with their creativity in the early phases of the project and, and to really come up with, this is the idea we love. But then they have to begin to what we call moving from the green phase closer and closer to the amber and eventually to the red phase in terms of thinking. We want to do this, but we don't think this will sell or mm-hmm. we would love this, but we don't think this is the market for it. So, mm-hmm. so, so they have to go through that. I think, too, a part of their market research, because within these four modules, they look at marketing, sales, promotion, all of those details. They look at the competition. They look at what local restaurants are offering. They look at, are there other Caribbean restaurants that are located nearby? What do mm-hmm. they offer? You know, so they heavily utilize their primary research skills to mm-hmm. really fine tune the ideas and make sure that, look, what we come up with, this is our best guess for what we think the market really wants. And I'll just add that this year we were sold out and had to close reservations up to two weeks before. So dare I say they were tremendously successful with launching this Caribbean themed pop-up restaurant. Wow, that's amazing. So how many guests did you have at the pop-up experience all told, do you think? So we ended at 120. Wow. And even thereafter, we had to be fielding requests to indicate, I'm sorry, we are closed. We are not able to take any more reservations. Wow. Wow. So it's a one night experience, right? It is. It's a one night only experience. That's a lot of people in one night to be serving. That is really impressive. Wow. A five course dinner. Yep, it is. (laughs) And and it's just a five course. There's not options, right? It's like you're signing up to what they make, correct? Correct. The the only area where they normally have, where guests normally have some selection are within the entrees and Mm -hmm. within the desserts. But Mm -hmm. as far as the starter courses, soups and salads, those are pretty much all the same. Okay. So I was thinking as you were talking about this idea of self-efficacy and about the range of information sources and types of research that students are doing. You know, you mentioned kind of more library research, but also this primary research where they're polling um, individuals, talking to vendors. It's really a lot of different kinds of inquiry that students are practicing in this real world context. You know, they're really figuring out what questions they need to ask and then using the information they gather to, as you said, fine tune or even fully define and then fine tune their ideas. Like, is that something you talk with students about explicitly and how like this inquiry process they're going through or are you focusing with them more on the practical work of it and that metacognitive part comes in maybe later during the reflective phase? It's it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely the practical phase because At the end of the day, the deliverable is a tangible deliverable, Mm -hmm. right? It's a real world project outcome where a restaurant is literally created and it's in play. But we we want students to to look at the immersive, what they are experiencing Mm -hmm. as they are undertaking these uh, various activities. And so when I, I first conceptualized and redesigned this course in 2018, one of the things that we wanted to achieve was the students going through this questioning of how do I navigate working in a small team and how do I reflect on myself as a student manager and others? And I have to tell you that while the discussion around all the food and the decor and all of that is, it it gets, you know, very exciting. (laughs) Students spend a lot of time sharing and writing about in their reflection pieces after we complete each module Mm -hmm. about what it has been like navigating in this small team. Mm -hmm. And that for me is a key part of the learning outcome, preparing them with these skills, decision-making and critical thinking skills, but also who am I as I operate in this small team? How do Mm -hmm. I respond when my ideas seem to not be received or uh, (laughs) I'm voted out, you know, Mm -hmm. or together, how do we navigate uncertainty? So there is this process of self-reflection where we do ask the students to think about this process that they're going through in their small team and talk about what what did you realize about yourself that you didn't know before? What has been revealed about your other team members? What would you do the same? And Mm -hmm. what would you change if you had this to do over again? And we think that teaching students to navigate working in small teams Mm -hmm. is a critical component of preparing them for the real world. Absolutely. Yeah. It sounds so amazing. Wow. 
Talk about immersive. <laughs> I mean, those there's so many skills that you've touched mm-hmm. on right there. And and all of it is really fascinating. And it also really uncovers a lot of the details of like the formalized research and the informalized research. Mm-hmm. I bet you they drove past those restaurants and, and double checked on some of those things. Mm-hmm. I know we had talked earlier, maybe off air, where you, you talked about this process where you're so immersed in something you kind of forget about other things. Mm. And I feel like that this is one of those courses that can really hold students in because they are juggling not only this real world project they've decided to go for, but now they have to also deal with personalities, which is probably the <laughs> hardest part of any job, if you think about it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It, no, it is. And I think you're referring to this concept of flow, which was also very important in, in terms of flow theory as it is used in educational research. I drew heavily on that as I thought about what do I really want students to experience as they go through and navigate this real world project. And, and flow, just for your listeners, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it speaks to this period of being so engrossed with a project that uh, you really lose sense of time. You lose all, you know, track of time and sense of where you are. For some of us, we know what it's like when you are preparing a manuscript for submission mm-hmm. or you're writing a research paper or you're just involved in a job and, oh, you look at the time and you're like, oh my goodness, six hours went by and I didn't even know, you know, six hours right. had gone by. So flow depicts this sense of the student being in flow, that that they are experiencing all the ins and outs of what they have to do, what they have to undertake. Um, and they get so caught up in it that they mm-hmm. lose track of time. I'm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying they forget to eat or drink. <laughs> no, it doesn't get that far, that bad. But they do get so caught up in it that you mm-hmm. hear the buzz and you know, mm-hmm. oh, wow, these students are working on this in and out of class. So, mm-hmm. Wow. So it sounds like you've been working on this project from the instructor side for quite a number of years. You mentioned you started doing this project in 2018, and it sounds like you've made changes over time. I'm wondering, you know, what it looked like at the beginning, what you've learned throughout the experience that you've used to inform the redesign or, or, you know, revision of the project. Sure. Um, in, In the summer of 2018, I was preparing to teach the course for the first time in the fall of 2018. Prior to that, my understanding is that the course was taught as an independent study course. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, do I really want my students as seniors on the cusp of graduating? Do I want them to write another paper Mm. or do I want them to really experience what it could be like Mm -hmm. to run their own hospitality business? Mm -hmm. Given the entrepreneurship option that we offer here, I thought, why not do a real world project? And that really just started the ball rolling with immersive learning from the whole experiential Mm -hmm. learning and, and trying to develop that. There were clearly pedagogical decisions that had to be taken, but also do we have the resources? Do we sure. have the infrastructure? So mm-hmm. so once I realized that it could be possible, then then you know I started working out really what would the learning goals be because we realized that this is almost significantly more effort, more work than simply writing a paper. Mm-hmm. And yes, I can tell you that the course looks nothing or very <laughs> it doesn't look a lot like when I first taught it. Mm-hmm. And I have to credit the feedback from students. One of the assignments that I designed, and this would have been in the second year, is their, uh, it's it's called their Wednesday weather journal or Wednesday weather report, mm. where after each module, they're the following Wednesday, they have a reflection assignment that's due. And I ask students to select from a list of images, which of these depict your experiences in the module. Yeah. There are three images, are sunny and bright, there's a kind of moderate day, and then there's one where it's it's clearly tornado, it's it's dark, it's gray skies, <laughs> it's mid, you know. And, and so depending on the caption, you know, they understand, select the image, and of course they can select more than one. And so some students will select both a sunny and bright and a a gray sky. And Mm. they write about that and say, you know, it was great when I just started, but when I realized how much work it was, that's when, (laughs) you know, I shut down. Or it started out really stormy, but as we met, as we talked through what we were going to do, as we shared ideas, then it became clear. And so through that type of feedback, I really have been able to constantly improve that that term that is used. um, It's a Japanese term called Kaizen. So small incremental improvements Mm -hmm. over time. 
that's where the student feedback, their reflection uh, becomes very important as you are redesigning a course, which has a kind of this a real world component as this mm-hmm. does. Now I have a question. Okay. So you're getting this Wednesday weather feedback. Do you usually have a sense of what's kind of come in on that Wednesday? Do you, or is it sometimes a surprise to you? Like, oh, it looked like everything was going great. And then surprise. (laughs) Yeah. So a little bit of both the first two years, I really was shocked. I told them, you know, treat this like your diary. This is your dear diary letter to me to tell me what you thought of the first four weeks or the second four weeks. And as I read, I thought to myself, wow, this might be TMI, a little too much information. (laughs) They were were really being honest about, they were calling names about, oh, I'm I'm not getting along with this person. Wow. Wow. Watch them work through the dynamics of you know, what was going well and what was not. Mm. And and so I have to say that the first two years after the journal uh, assignment, I was surprised. But now I kind of see a similar pattern that happens, Mm -hmm. kind of like the forming and norming, you know, storming that groups go through. Mm -hmm. And, And so it's really typical to see that theme play out across the team. And what I will do, and I say to them, whatever you write in your diary is private. I'm the only person that sees it and I will not be sharing But if I see a theme that Mm -hmm. consistently comes up across each reflection that I think may need a conversation, an open conversation in the class before we move on to the next module, because it does get increasingly challenging with the workload, I will say, okay, guys, let's talk about this theme that was very dominant in your Mm -hmm. Wednesday weather journal. So Mm -hmm. that's how I use the feedback to tweak even as we go through the semester. And that's something that never happened in the first year. In the first year, I just got the feedback at the end of the semester and I could do nothing with that. It was over and it was done. Now, after each module, I can gauge what's going on, what's happening and kind of help them work through uh, issues that they might be experiencing that, you know, they they don't necessarily have all the the resources and and need some extra support to work through and talk through, especially, you know, conflicting views and and feelings and navigating Mm -hmm. those in, in the small team. It really sounds like, you know, in addition to all the skills you were mentioning a moment ago, the decision making and sort of being able to manage uncertainty, this really goes to show how important it is to consider the interpersonal components of these kinds of real world experiences and supporting students in developing the kind of emotional and social skill sets alongside the cognitive ones as well, it sounds like. Yes, it certainly is. And and I will just reference a, a paper that mm-hmm. uh, myself and my colleague, Sarah Hartman Caverly, uh, mm-hmm. published in 2022, where, where we wanted to see and, understand, and better understand what the students were experiencing as they navigated this real world project. And among the themes that emerged were the complexity of the affective cognitive interactions that they Mm -hmm. were having within themselves and within each other. So it's already a high stakes project that they have Mm -hmm. to deliver um, and how they responded to this and how it either helped or hindered their ability to navigate the learning journey was very important. And so mm-hmm. to that extent, we saw we found students struggled to take the, the textbook theory and mm-hmm. adapt it to this real world environment. So we realized that as instructors, we, we kind of have to be there along with the consultant chef to bridge that theory practice gap for mm-hmm. them. And, and another thing was to watch how sometimes they would deal with the quote unquote stress of the real world project by being very funny, you know, mm-hmm. just using humor as a way to cope, you know, mm-hmm. and, and navigate these load overload states um, <laughs> that they would experience. But mm-hmm. but you're right, Jen, it it it. It, at their age and at their stage, it is a mm-hmm. lot for them to, to to really be experiencing. And it is what we want them to experience mm-hmm. when we design a course like this, but it can't be so overloaded to the point where they're unable to, to navigate the learning journey success. Right, right. You want to build in those supports, scaffold it so they can be successful in it. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. So you mentioned the article that you've written, um, and I know you have some other scholarship around this particular project. And it's interesting to me to think like you're guiding students through this inquiry experience, helping them develop these skills. And at the same time, you're approaching it from your perspective as the instructor, as the facilitator. 
with this inquiry mindset of your own, you know, using it to fuel your own scholarship and sort of learn from the experience and see how you can iterate and improve. And when you started this project, were you intending to do some scholarship around it? Or did you come to think, you know, I really want to investigate this. I really want to practice some inquiry around this project. How intentional was it, I guess, from the outset? I could say not at all intentional. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I found myself redesigning a course, but I never thought that it would have taken on the life uh, mm-hmm. that, that it absolutely did with respect to helping me to learn more about mm-hmm. experiential learning processes and, and, mm-hmm. and what that involves. Uh, and and really how much more curious I became in understanding what my students were really feeling. Like <laughs> this course more than any other course really forced me to ask those questions. And, mm-hmm. and I was eager to find out, oh my goodness, are they loving this? Are they hating it? Or is it somewhere <laughs> in the middle? And mm-hmm. where exactly would be the sweet spot of learning for them, you know, mm-hmm. as, as, as they navigated it? So I didn't start out thinking that it would happen. But when we saw the opportunity, uh, we jumped at it and we said, with student agreement, we mm-hmm. would in fact conduct uh, research and observe their learning behaviors and look at them in the classroom and observe what the dynamics were in these small teams and mm-hmm. developing a resource that could help them. Because the truth is, there was no textbook out there that mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. that would have been so neatly designed and a good fit for mm-hmm. walking the students through this hospitality entrepreneurship type of journey. And so, of course, what did we do? We wrote the textbook then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the book that you've published as an open educational resource, right? Correct. For us. It's out there for others to use as well. Yes, it is. It is an openly, uh, it is an OER mm-hmm. uh, that can be used by uh, mm-hmm. any entity once they have the link. It's open and affordable and it does mm-hmm. uh, walk you through four modules. But the good thing about it too is that there is adaptability where we have incorporated chapters that uh, some programs may want to do focus more on beverage management. Mm-hmm. It could also be that there is a professor who doesn't want to do a five course dinner. Maybe they want to have a food truck as their oh, cool. And, you know, end of project outcome. So it's it's written openly. It can be tailored. Professors can include or exclude portions mm-hmm. of the material to fit what they are teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you come from the background where you did this outside of academia. This was your job full time. And now you're in academia and you're creating these resources for other people to teach it. Was this a resource that would have been very valuable to you in your own experience prior to joining the field? I want to say yes, and then I'm, I'm, I want to say no, Kate, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I found that when I was in the field, when it came to, to managing clients and their events, you often felt, for example, um, we did quite a number of weddings in my mm-hmm. former life. And, you know, there is this notion that you always remembered a, a bride is never going to get a second wedding day, we hope, right? And so <laughs> you needed to get this right. Let's pull out all the stops to make sure that we have no failures. Everything has to be perfect because there are no Mm do-overs. And so with that type of standard in the practice of hospitality, where you want to get it right and get it right the first time, right? Because you don't have a second chance. To transition into academia, honestly, was is very different, where Mm -hmm. you really want students to embrace this notion that, I think it's okay to fail, meaning, and, and the, the, the definition of failure now becomes very different. It means we tested something and we tried it, we experimented and we found it didn't work. And that simply means we have to go back, test, we're going to learn and go and test and retest. And so I would say that, yes, the textbook would would help, but it's more the mindset that would have been very different. And, mm-hmm. I, and I far more enjoy this aspect of it where <laughs> we, we help students and ourselves. So as the instructor, I also had to learn that whilst it is a one night pop up, we can only give it the best. We can make the best decisions. The big learning component will come from determining what worked and, and letting the students derive that for themselves what worked well, what didn't, and 
if we had to do it over again, what would we change? You know, Mm -hmm. that's very different from my days in industry. So I would have read the book, but I probably would be a little pensive about, Mm -hmm. you know, what the outcome really ought to be. That's really interesting, you know, to put those two kinds of attitudes or or habits of mind side by side, thinking about this, you know, once and done, no do-overs, let's do it right the first time, give it all we have in this more iterative, experimental, learning-oriented kind of attitude. How did you yourself navigate that? I'm curious. How did you retrain your brain or your your comfort <laughs> with that idea when you came to academia from industry? Sure. I think the best way that I could um could could answer that is drawing on a on a film that I saw recently, a 2022 film called Resurrection. And long and short of the film is that it ended as those films do, where you're still asking yourself questions like, so who was, or what did that mean, or who did that? And I describe it as leaving it open-ended. You have a film out there and you watch it and you think, okay, by the end of the film, we'll figure this all out. And Mm -hmm. then the end of the film comes and you realize you are left with more questions. (laughs) And and that particular film, it, it probably set my hair on fire so much that I had to go look up, well, what was the point of this movie? (laughs) And, And one of the words that the executive producers was used was, you know, we wanted to leave this film open to the interpretation of the Mm. viewer. And I was I was struck by that. And and so I think that's how I would describe and answer your question. Mm -hmm. I I learned and I'm learning that it is okay to leave some of these learning nuggets open ended. Mm-hmm. In saying to the students, you know what? I honestly don't have the answer. And we've we've worked through this, this, and this. And we haven't come up on what we think is the right answer. Uh, we know what we did. We tested. But maybe we have to do it mm-hmm. again. Or maybe mm-hmm. we won't get the answer immediately. We might figure it out the next time we have to do it. And so I've seen students write in their journals things like, Oh, if I ever had to run my cafe, which I will do one day, then this bit, this learning nugget will help me to do Mm -hmm. this. If I had to do this again, I would speak out more, let my voice be heard. And Mm. you come to these conclusions at the close to the end of the learning journey and you have to be okay. So I I talk myself into that. Pauline, Mm -hmm. you have to be okay with leaving some things open ended with letting Mm -hmm. the students know that we won't always find an answer or the answer, but we will be richer for the knowledge that we have acquired from the process. Mm -hmm. That is is scary and brilliant. (laughs) And I mean, for to hear that come from, you know, you, the instructor to say, Mm -hmm. we're just going to figure this out together. It's beautiful, it really mm-hmm. is, because the learning process is a facilitation process and it is not penalizing any kind of failure along the way. Wow, good job. I mean, I, I think that that makes you um, an exceptional professor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if there's some parallels there, too, because you mentioned you didn't go start this process or this project with the intention of publishing about it, of doing you know some investigations with your collaborator, Sarah Hartman Caverly, and publishing an article. But, you know, you saw the opportunity, you wanted to grab that opportunity. So I take that to mean that maybe like your area of research isn't the scholarship of teaching and learning around pop-up restaurants or entrepreneurship education. Maybe you must be specializing in another area, right? Yep. Yes, you're absolutely right. And in fact, my research really is in tourism and and, Mm -hmm. uh, destination marketing, where Mm -hmm. I use social network analysis and social network theory in particular and try to understand the dynamics among various hospitality and tourism entities as they seek to be innovative within Mm. their destination. So the innovation theory, absolutely, there is a, you know, a straddling there between the research and and here. Mm -hmm. Um, But but I really try to investigate that the network itself and what are some of the relationships that help destinations to constantly refresh and end up doing tremendously well when it comes to attracting new visitors and repeat visitors to their destination. So whilst it's a different area that I generally research in, 
It has afforded me the opportunity to understand the dynamics between public and private sector entities. And that has helped with helping the students understand how to bootstrap their businesses, Mm -hmm. where grant funds or funding, you know, you have a set amount to create this pop-up restaurant. So bootstrapping means where can we borrow or where can we seek sponsorship or how can we offset those uh, costs? They have to learn to develop relationships with industry experts. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting industry experts on the night of the restaurant. I invite them to dine and Mm -hmm. those are external examiners. So they are given Mm. score sheets and they're asked to evaluate the students in terms of the food quality, the service experience and all the aspects that the students had planned and prepared for. These are folks that do this every day. Mm -hmm. So they provide wonderful feedback to the students in terms of here is what we experienced and here is where we think you you could improve. So, again, two different areas in terms of my research and the teaching here, but there are aspects of it that I am able to incorporate. What a valuable feedback you know, opportunity that is for students to hear that, not just, you know, from you and from the friends and family who are likely the diners there as well, but from people who have have a lot of valuable knowledge that they can share. But I'm just thinking too, you know, obviously there are strong connections between your area of research and this teaching experience. And as you moved into doing um, research that was more focused on students teaching and learning, Did you feel like the methods and sort of theoretical approaches with which you were most familiar could apply to your scholarship of teaching and learning kind of research? Or did you feel like, oh, now I'm a newcomer to this whole like approach to doing research? I guess I'm just wondering, could you put yourself in the student's shoes? Did that help attune you to that insider outsider kind of perspective as you were maybe becoming familiar with a new type of research for yourself? Sure. I mentioned earlier that uh, our method of collection was Mm -hmm. observational Mm -hmm. and we use this social network uh, mapping the software. What we would do is look at the interactions in the small team setting among the students. Mm -hmm. And we found it interesting in terms of understanding or tracking, say, how many times a student would speak or contribute Mm -hmm. an idea, who they Mm -hmm. were sharing the idea with, basically gauge their participation in this small team. And that actually is a very real reflection Mm -hmm. of the research that I do among organizations where we try to figure out if I do have a new idea for a product or service, who do I share this idea with? How do I fine tune it? And so in the classroom setting, we found that students would engage more with the students that they were more comfortably Mm -hmm. associated with. And by and large, there were friends outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes they would, the the student that would not necessarily say too much is because maybe they didn't feel confident that they knew enough about this area to contribute an idea. Very similar to the research when I looked at organizations, you found that a destination organization would talk with their partner restaurant or Mm -hmm. their partner hotel or the same organization, but one that's operating in another state. So they didn't consider them a direct competitor but one that they could share mm-hmm. ideas with. So mm-hmm. so we see some of that dynamic that plays out among organizations. We saw some of that happening within the classroom setting. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about social network analysis and, and being creative and being innovative, it's important to understand, well, how does this process of creativity and innovation accrue from this social network? And, and one of the, the outstanding things is that people will share ideas with those whom they trust and they have a good rapport with. Mm-hmm. That's something that's striking from my, my own tourism mm-hmm. research with the classroom, the scholarship of teaching and learning that, mm-hmm. that emerged. I love hearing about that because earlier in our conversation, you were mentioning part of the point of this experience, the pop-up restaurant is to help students learn to bridge gaps and to sort of transfer and apply skills across these gaps. And it strikes me that that's very much what you've just described in your own experience, right? You're modeling in many ways how to take your skills and knowledge and methodological approaches in one body of research and apply it, transfer it to an entirely different one and make those connections, bridge yes. those gaps. 
It is really also interesting how the small classroom dynamic mirrors the huge, you know, travel industry dynamic. Yes. But I get it. You know, we talk to people we know who understand what we're doing, um, maybe align with our same values and things like that and to share ideas with or to try out things with. Because I think there's an effort there of you having to sell an idea. Mm -hmm. And if you put it in the wrong hands, it can really kill an idea or maybe not give you the right feedback. So interesting. You're, yep, you're absolutely right. And a lot of what undergirds that is trust. Like, am I mm-hmm. comfortable and, and will I trust the feedback that I'm getting from mm-hmm. this person? So trust is a big deal. And overcoming the fear. Students are really intimidated to put their ideas out there sometimes, you know, when they must put it out to get feedback because they mm-hmm. never want for their ideas to be beaten down. But it also means I'm going to share my idea with someone who I trust to give me honest feedback. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's important. Teaching students that feedback is good, whether it's mm-hmm. favorable or not what you wanted to hear. Feedback is always great to get. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it probably, at least it seems to me, it goes back to this sort of open-ended mindset that you were describing before, that receptiveness would be fueled by cultivating that open-ended mindset yes. and, you know, have that additional information to sort of fold into your thinking. Yep. Yes. So going forward now, you've just had this pop-up restaurant experience. You're entering, I think, now this more assessment module or phase of the course Is your research studying students' feedback about the project ongoing? Like, are you anticipating um, more publications around this for yourself? Or is it more just practical and application oriented at this stage for future improvements to the course? Uh, No, I definitely believe that we will revisit this notion of uh, the scholarship of teaching and learning and observing the behavior. Uh, The COVID Mm -hmm. pandemic did create a a kind of hiccup. Uh, you know, <laughs> to say the least. To say the least. I was actually going to say it changed so many things mm-hmm. in the way maybe even a pop-up restaurant would even work. Mm-hmm. It, it absolutely did. Initially, we were able to observe in-person behavior. You know, when we returned mm-hmm. in 2021, there was this uncertainty mm-hmm. and a huge component, which is part of the entrepreneurial journey, is navigating uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so that year we had to say to the students, OK, you have a big decision to make. Do you want to have an in-person pop-up restaurant knowing that we're literally just, you know, transitioning out of all these COVID restrictions and we don't know what's going to happen in the external environment, um, but, you know, what's the chance that you want to take? Or do you want to do a ghost kitchen where Mm. you'll still come up with a menu and and ideas, but you would not try to host an in-person pop-up restaurant? That was a decision that the student manager team of fall 20. 2021 had to wrestle with. And so one of the good things about the OER was we were able to swap out and incorporate some ghost kitchen literature, Mm -hmm. right? So they were able to learn a bit more of what a ghost kitchen was versus the pop-up restaurant model. The students decided that they wanted to do in person. Mm -hmm. But again, we walked through that based on what is your best guess based on the research? And so they had to look at, okay, are people going back for in-person dining Mm -hmm. or are people still using Grubhub and want to stay home or are people using curbside delivery? Mm -hmm. So they had to evaluate and analyze what was actually happening in industry and make their decision based on that. And so because we had to go through that interruption uh, continuation in terms of longitudinal study, we had to pause, but certainly we hope to get back to data collection and analyzing student experiences over uh, each iteration Mm -hmm. of the course. Wow. Yeah, it's such an unwieldy situation, you know, in those moments, of course, like early in the pandemic, but the I think what Kate, what you were describing, sort of the ripple effects of it are long lasting, and we're only seeing perhaps the beginning of that. So you have to continue to monitor, reflect and plan around that, I'm sure, in response to it. Yeah, we need a side by side comparison of like the 2018, Mm -hmm. 2019 pop up and the 2023 pop up and see like themes and and words that are being used that really address some of the things we've gone through over the past five years. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. So the hospitality management program at Berks has one area of focus, it sounds like, is entrepreneurship and innovation. And that's the area that you're particularly specializing in. Am I am I right about this? 
Correct. We call it the entrepreneurship option mm -hmm. where students are required to take a set amount of courses from the entrepreneurship and innovation minor. That's kind of stitched into the program mm -hmm. and underlines the specialization that our students here at Berks have. And of course, that would be different for students who are at University Park, mm -hmm. for example, that may want to do hospitality management mm -hmm. option. I don't have a lot of familiarity with entrepreneurship education or anything like that, but as you've been describing it, or at least my takeaways from it, it seems like some foundational components are really this idea of experiential learning. To me, what's standing out, and I'm curious if this is something that resonates with you, is just this idea of this like inquiry mindset, sort of inquiry-oriented mindset. You know, I'm coming at this from a librarian perspective with this idea of like habits and attitudes that support research and inquiry, but it seems really paralleled with the same kinds of attitudes and habits that you need for entrepreneurship education. I'm wondering if I'm on track with what sort of your perception is. Sure. You know, you're you're absolutely right. And, and I'll go back to what we mentioned about navigating uncertainty. Mm -hmm. But but the fact that we do have the entrepreneurship option uh, and we walk students through this, um, I mean, it's not just fully open-ended. There has to be this metric that helps us determine, well, was I successful mm -hmm. or was I not successful? And if so, how successful was I or how close or how far from my target goal was I? Mm -hmm. And so, as you mentioned, over the next couple of weeks, as we close off the course and, and approach the end of the semester, the students are shifting into the fourth and final module, which is their evaluation module. And that will allow them to do both an evaluation of the financial performance mm. of the restaurant and the metric that we give um, for the project is minimum break even or do better. Mm. Doing better would be great, but at <laughs> least were you able to mm -hmm. break even? And the second one was, did you achieve the target goals that you set for guest experiences? Mm -hmm. So um, that second piece is going to be an evaluative component based on the guest feedback, as well as the external examiner feedback. And so students write their evaluative reports based on both those components, financial performance and guest services performance. Mm -hmm. And why I brought that up is that that's really how entrepreneurs learn mm -hmm. how successful they've been. You know, we wanted to go into this market with this new product, product development or market development. How successful are we? Have we sold, you know, what we wanted to sell? Did we reach our target? So that evaluative component will be very good. And whilst these students will not get an opportunity to re-implement or attempt the pop-up again, mm -hmm. you know, it, it helps them to evaluate the decisions that they made as a team. Mm -hmm. Does that information get shared year to year mm -hmm. so other students could study like some of the outcomes from the year before? I'm glad you asked that question. And, and so I'll say two ways in which it is shared. Yes. Students are, um, and this is where the, the beauty of the OER. So each year we update the OER with numbers mm -hmm. and financials. So they see historically how it is that previous pop-ups have done. Mm -hmm. So the fall 23 group, 2023 group would have been able to see the performance of the 2018, 2019, 2020, all the wow. way down to 2022. So they do see that. And, and second of all, um, there is a, a small component that I have included in the reflection assignment where I ask them to close their reflection with a piece called Dear Future HM430 Student. Mm. <laughs> and in that piece in their diary, they actually write something that they want the next group uh, to know. Mm -hmm. And I end up using that little note, those notes from the students in the prior year as the icebreaker in the first class in those, let's say, fall of 2024. And it's surreal to have the students read these notes, these little love letters, love notes, so to speak, <laughs> on the first day. And so what they're hearing are the voices of the students from the year before, and so it builds this beautiful continuity that is not common across cohorts, mm -hmm. really, within a program. But they're very honest um, and they will share things like, I know at first it seems daunting, but believe that you can as a team or you'll find, you know, make sure to get your taste tests done early mm -hmm. because we do have these labs where they actually have to prepare and test the food mm -hmm. to find out, is it the right spice? So we did that, for example, is it the right spice level? No spice, too much spice. Uh, do we really want to serve, you know, like this or how do we want to plate this? So we have taste and plating sessions. And so 
you know, some of the advice will be, you know, make sure to get chef's view of, of your thing from early out or don't make any changes the night before the pop-up, you know. So these little notes, they help the students to not only hear the voices of the students before, but but they tell them, we, we think we could have done better with this. We should have met more outside mm-hmm. of class or we should have done this differently. Mm-hmm. And um, so to that extent, they do get exposed to the prior year's um, pop-ups so that they can learn from, they can learn what worked well Mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe what they could do differently. I I know you talked about the metrics of the financials and the guests. Um, Is there a a sub-metric of their own personal teamwork dynamics, like things like work problem solving Mm. and uh, um, becoming a leader or, you know, learning how to negotiate. Those are those are huge skills also. Oh, they they are. And and what I didn't mention before, I don't think, was that um, these student managers actually have students from the lower level courses and volunteers to help with the production Mm. of the pop up restaurant. So so they're not only evaluating themselves. So Kate, to your question, they do have a peer evaluation module where they write as part of their evaluation. In addition to what I shared before, they write about what they thought they were happy with about their performance and as well as the teams. And they also are critical about what what they could have done better. To that extent, they talk about how well um, they would have been able to lead the volunteers from the lower levels who in another two, three years will be doing this. Mm-hmm. So they're getting that exposure. Um, but but they are required. And that goes back to the small team dynamic, um, that component of the learning process, you know, learning how to work in a small team sometimes when personalities are strong and, and evaluating that. So they do evaluate themselves. So we call self and others mm-hmm. as they are completing that module. Have you had the opportunity at all to talk with students a few years after the pop-up experience to hear from them reflecting on you know, how it's translated a few years out rather than only immediately after the pop-up? Yes, you can imagine how delighted I am when I, when, when I see, you know, when I see it listed, the project mm-hmm. is listed on someone's resume. We have a graduate from 2019, 2020, yep, 20, about around 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, she has her own event planning company and she lists one of the strengths uh, in terms of her experience as, you know, I was a student manager for the pop-up, real world pop-up restaurant. Wow. Um she lists that for her clients to see. Wow. And so that blows me away. And um, perhaps the best part is I have had now three years in which I was able to invite graduates of the program mm-hmm. and specifically students who have implemented their pop-up restaurant since the redesign of the course mm-hmm. come back and serve as one of the external examiners. Wow. So on Friday night, we did have one of our uh, alums and she came and she served as an external examiner. Mm-hmm. And I believe she had implemented her pop-up restaurant in 2019. So who best to evaluate how well this is other than someone, you know, who has already walked through the program and this course in particular. So Mm -hmm. that's how I'm always able to keep in touch Mm -hmm. with folks who have done the course previously. And always, always, Mm -hmm. I will hear this was the most stressful project (laughs) I've ever done. This was the most (laughs) difficult thing, but oh my goodness, it prepared me so well for the things that come after Penn State Berks. Consistently, that's the theme. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I have to take some comfort in believing that, you know, our efforts are doing well. Yeah. Well, it's for someone to list it on their, you know, resume as um, for their potential clients to see as a true testament to how transformative it was for them how powerful or, you know, how important it was. That's amazing. It's really interesting to hear the whole thing coming together from Mm -hmm. uh, the work you've done and the feedback and the continuous improvement that you're making and having, you know, alum come back and all of it, like, but you didn't even start in academia. This wasn't even your original goal. Like, where did, where did you come from? And how did you end up in Berks County, Pennsylvania, working at Penn State? (laughs) You're, you're absolutely right. I never saw this at all coming, Kate. And it was, uh, let's see, around 2011. Uh, you know, I was concluding my uh, MBA studies and my professor and I had a conversation. He asked me if I wanted to, you know, if I ever thought of going on to, to further my studies and do a PhD. And I told him, absolutely not. You know, I would I would never, you know, I never thought 
that I would be one leaving Jamaica mm. and my family and my then kids who were just just entering their teen stage. Mm. And two, um, you know, I just it just wasn't on my radar. Mm. I was quite comfortable. And you can say I saw the opportunity for the Fulbright scholarship. I even went and I did, I think, like the GMAT and all of those things. And I just said, you know, I said to my mother, I, I don't think I'm going to do this. It's it's not going to fit in with my plan, even though I didn't even have this like hard, you know, established <laughs> plan. And, and my mother encouraged me. She said, mm. look, you did the exams, you did the application, just go and submit the, you know, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. And I still remember a Friday rainy afternoon when the Fulbright scholarships were due and I went and I handed them into the U.S. Embassy in Kingston and very half-heartedly, <laughs> I got the call for the interview. Mm. And so that just, you know, fast tracked everything mm-hmm. that I didn't I didn't know it would have happened. And I came here and I did the research and I was exposed to teaching mm-hmm. and I absolutely loved it. And um, you could say, you know, they say the rest is history, but it almost didn't happen, say, for my mother encouraging <laughs> me to find it, my, my application. It is. It is. a. It's always there. That's a theme that has come up in so many of our podcasts where Ah, uh, that's not really what I was thinking, but someone encouraged me. So fine, I'll do the thing. I'll sign the paper and I'll put it to bed to basically make them quiet. <laughs> and it just changed everything. And um, it must have been hard for you to say goodbye to, you know, Jamaica and <laughs> your mother. But I'm you have really made an impact on some students lives mm-hmm. and done some great things with the program. So uh, you deserved your tenure. <laughs> <laughs> that you Thank recently you. received. So congratulations on that. Absolutely. I have no regrets yeah. because being here allows me to still engage with industry and connect students. It's a very gratifying experience to watch them develop over the four years and and move on to very meaningful and exciting careers in hospitality management. And And in some cases, figure out hospitality is not for me, (laughs) you know, and that's okay too. Uh, You know, the long hours Mm -hmm. as well as just, you know, it takes a lot out of, out of you to physically be there for other people. Uh, That's, you know, the heart of hospitality. So no regrets, none so far anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, and (laughs) it just, it seems, you know, going back to what we were describing before is some important things that students are learning about interpersonal skills and emotional management. It strikes me as that's, those are very valuable things when you're working in, industry. You need to be able to be very skillful in those areas. You, you, you have to be. And, you know, you mentioned the paper that we wrote, mm-hmm. myself and Sarah. And, um, you know, one of the vignettes that we wrote about was watching a student just break down mm. in tears after they got the initial feedback <laughs> on their menus. And no matter how you prepare students to say, the chef is going to come and give you just as much feedback as he can to help make your menu better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they don't want to feel like they let the team down sure. or their idea was not good. Mm-hmm. And so we have to carefully navigate um, creating these these parameters with which students feel okay to receive this feedback. But that year, I remember distinctly, I walked back into the classroom after walking the chef to the parking lot. And it's like the, the class transformed. He had he had shared feedback mm-hmm. with the students. He, you know, he's I remember he started because we wrote about this in the research paper. He said, you know, hate me now or hate me later. And um, I guess they, you know, they went for hate me now. But he was really giving them good things to think about. Like uh, watermelon is great, but is watermelon available in right. you know November or is the food cost not realistic? And so, you know, students have cried. Students mm-hmm. have said this is stressful. And and so you, you really realize that it's not just that you're an instructor, mm-hmm. you are also a coach and you're also a comforter mm-hmm. and you, you have to really help students manage those emotions at the undergraduate level. Mm-hmm. You really, really do. So it's a lot. Mm-hmm. But- yeah. So there's basically as much extra time put into teaching as there is in in hotel restaurant management. (laughs) Long, long hours in just a different way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Pauline. This has been just a great conversation. And I 
we need to put on our calendar next yes. year so we can go to the pop-up restaurant. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> oh, yes. And I just want to echo what Kate said. Yeah, thank you so much, Pauline. This has been a really um, enlightening conversation, really interesting, very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. we'll be sure to put a link to this year's menu in the show notes also so folks can see all the great dishes that students offered in the pop-up restaurant. That would be wonderful. And thank you so much. You made you made it very easy easy to talk and, and share. So you can see that I would have gone on and on and on, but. <laughs> Thanks. We, we loved having you. Wow. Polly has so much energy and passion for this. She just finished that pop-up and here she was just chatting with us and she didn't even sound weary. I know I would still be recovering for sure. All the work that went into that, I can barely plan my weekly menu regularly. And the process she described, helping students navigate this to the finish line. I know, like so many moving pieces to think about, you know, on her end, on their end, all around. Absolutely. And to learn about the pop-up restaurant and her scholarship around it, it was really cool to kind of hear about her own path because mm-hmm. she was in industry and she loved it. She didn't mm-hmm. see a future in academia. And then someone made a recommendation Mm -hmm. and someone urged her to keep going. And Mm -hmm. now she's dedicated to teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really liked hearing too about the shift in her mindset as she transitioned from industry to academia, you know, coming to realize that it's okay to leave things open-ended. It's okay not to get it right the first time, practicing that more iterative approach. It really showcased, I think, her inquiry mindset, her own inquiry mindset. She's so good at what she does. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many parts to it. The messages the students leave for the next year's students Mm -hmm. and the updating of the OER. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very good in academia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So listeners, we'd love to hear about maybe your in-class experiences. Maybe you've had some experiences that really uncovered important skills, behaviors, attitudes, what have you. Maybe experiences that were so transformative, you would go so far as to put them on your resume even. That was cool to hear about. That was really cool. So we want to hear from you. Um, Contact us at fc2c at psu.edu. That's fc, the number two, c at psu.edu. And don't forget to check out our show notes. The flyer for the pop-up restaurants in there. And so many great links. Oh, those two. Yeah, like her OER (laughs) and her article. (laughs) For sure. And stay tuned for our next episode of From Concept to Creation. Bring your curious mind. Thank you so much for listening to From Concept to Creation. This podcast would not be possible without the support of Penn State University and its amazing population of curious minds. Uncovering the process and inner workings of research can sometimes be messy, but it's also rewarding and so interesting. As always, we want you, our listeners, to be part of this community. So please send us your comments and your ideas. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite listening platform and tune in for the next episode.